Welcome to the Chronically Living and How to Make the Most of It podcast. I'm Kelsey Harris, a chronic pain warrior, here to inspire hope and strength to the Spoonie community. Get ready to lift each other up and find ways to live the best life possible. Good morning, everyone or afternoon or evening, whatever it is for you. Welcome back to Chronically Living and how to make the most of it. Um, So, you know, I find myself talking about mental health a lot, both on here and in real life. Depression and anxiety affect the lives of so many people. And I've had my own struggles, which I've shared previously. And, you know, realistically, so have at least half the people I know. And I say at least because there are obviously a lot of people who still don't talk about it because there is still stigma. I also work in mental health. Well, I mean, by work, I mean work for free because I'm still a student, uh, but I think you know what I mean. Um, So I do spend much of my days talking about depression and anxiety, the really sad things that my fellow human beings go through. And I really wanted to do an episode on depression, especially after having done one on anxiety, because like anxiety, depression is so common in people with chronic illness. And about a third of my caseload as a psychotherapist is with people with chronic pain or chronic illness and the the mental health struggles that they deal with. These are really overlapping issues. So if you're thinking to yourself that you're alone, you're not. However, I'm also aware that me telling you that may not change your mind. Regardless, I really hope you stay tuned for the rest of this episode because I hope to give you some ideas later on for how to kind of start to cope or manage um, your depression as well as chronic illness. So first, let's look at some contributing factors to depression in those of us with a chronic illness. So one of these is the feeling of isolation that many people have when they're first diagnosed. You're very likely the only person or maybe one of few that you know in real life with your illness. This makes it really important to find ways to connect with others. Um, Online is a fabulous way. Literally just type in hashtag whatever your illness is and you'll find people ready and willing to share with you. At the end of the day, isolation is tough and it can take a lot of effort to reach out, especially when you're depressed. Just keep in mind that it is possible too. Even if you're not quite ready yet, you can just have that in your brain for the future. Another factor is lack of medical support, also known as medical gaslighting. Um, Like how depressing realistically is it to not have people believe you when you're telling them that, you know, things are wrong. Um, So I found out recently that one of my mom's friends was um, just recently diagnosed with cancer um, after having been written off for months and months when he tried to tell his problems to his doctor. This story just seems too familiar to me because many of us have been in a very similar situation. Most recently for me personally, my rheumatologist told me just to go to physio when I explained to her that I was having problems with my knee because it's quote unquote weird for my knee, like just your knee to hurt. Um, For the record, I had already told her that it wasn't just my knee that hurt. It was just the most painful area right now. Because she literally always asks me what the worst area is right now. So for a long time, it was my hip. It's been my hand previously. Like it, it's not, you know, like if you're asking me to pick something, you kind of got to go with what I pick. All I can say is for the medical professionals listening, please don't write off your what your patients are saying. 
We know our bodies the best. That being said, it can be really easy to feel depressed after this type of conversation. The one thing I can really suggest is just to keep pushing, push for tests, push for a diagnosis, push for yourself in general. And then I would say probably debrief with someone afterwards that is going to understand because it is a very difficult situation. On a side note, I recently found out that there's a lot of people who actually don't know what the term medical gaslighting means. Um, I think I've just explained it pretty well here, um, but you might run into others who don't know. Um, so for example, one of my supervisors at my practicum didn't know. So just be prepared to explain what you're going through. Another contributing factor between chronic illness and depression is illness grief. Um, now, I'm not really going to go into this here because I did a whole episode on this previously, um, which was episode 13. So for anybody who wants to go back and to listen to that again, or if you haven't listened to it yet, I would suggest that's a good one to listen to, especially if you're having some grief about having an illness. Um, just take a, a listen to that one. I will say right now that grieving is totally normal and definitely part of the process. But if you're really struggling to make sure that, um, really struggling, just make sure you have the support, um, support network of people to talk to. Loss of independence and self-efficacy is another factor. So I think that really ties in with illness grief a lot. Um, it can also just be hard to see the positives when there's so much less you can do physically. It really takes a toll. I think gratitude can be helpful here, but it's definitely not a cure-all. Um, and it can also be harder to find things to be grateful for when you're really struggling. Adjusting to a new reality does take some time. So I think that patience is also important. And by patience, I mean with yourself. Um, yeah. Another potential contributing factor is emotional abuse. So it's, it's interesting because I read somewhere online that people with chronic illness are like X amount of times more likely to experience abuse of like all types but particularly emotional abuse however when i like was doing my research search um i didn't find any scientific research from the past 10 years on this so i really can't verify the accuracy of that statement however um i'm just gonna lay out some aspects of emotional abuse that i've actually even reviewed with my clients before so that you can kind of i guess assess for yourself if this is happening to you um, so the first is the use of humiliation, including making patronizing comments, making jokes, belittling, belittling you, insults, put downs, and acting as if they know what's best for you. The next is gaslighting and manipulation, which includes undermining your reality, defining how you should feel, or dismissing your feelings, refusing to take responsibility for their actions. Then we have isolation and control and this includes wanting to know where you are at all times monitoring your communication making decisions for you withholding affection the use of coercion and isolating you from your family and friends and then finally we have erratic or chaotic behavior and this includes threatening you blackmail mood springs or outbursts and picking fights so if you said yes to a bunch of things on this list for any one of your relationships, romantic or otherwise, um, then be aware that there is potential abuse there. Um, it's not a guarantee. Every relationship's different, but I would just keep an eye out, especially if you said yes to a lot of those. 
The last contributing factor is that there is some research that states that inflammation can make depression worse um, in people with chronic illnesses. So there is a theory of depression that indicates that depression itself is an inflammatory disease, inflammation in the brain. Um, and then there are also specific links to uh, things like heart disease and autoimmune disorders. So for example, there is research by Usden et al. from 2017 that um, indicates a, a bi-directional relationship between depression and autoimmune disease. Um, and then that there are also some of this relationship is, is some shared environmental and genetic factors. I think it's really interesting. Um, it's something I'd definitely heard before, but it was, it was um, there seems to be quite a bit of research on this topic. Okay, so it occurred to me that some people may not actually know what the symptoms of depression are. So I'm gonna give you what the DSM-5, so that's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, um, says for major depressive disorder. I do wanna preface this that these are just the symptom criteria. So even if you meet the threshold for what I'm going to lay out here, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have depression because the DSM doesn't really account for all the other environmental factors in your life that could be causing symptoms. And it doesn't specifically account for cultural factors either. Um, that being said, clinicians, when they make their judgment calls, are supposed to um, look at the whole big picture. But um, yeah. So the DSM also does have a diagnosis reserved for depression caused by a medical condition, um, which I think is very interesting, but is also less likely to be diagnosed. Um, and because you really have to know that it is the medical condition for sure that's causing the depression and that it's not a bi-directional relationship or anything like that. So basically what I'm saying is if you were to be diagnosed, you would most likely to be diagnosed with MDD, major depressive disorder. Okay, so here are the symptoms. So having five or more of these symptoms in a two-week period when the symptoms are not caused by another condition, um, such as like a physical or mental or substance use condition. So they are depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, loss of interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day, Weight loss or gain that is unintentional or a decrease in appetite. Insomnia or hypersomnia nearly every day. Psychomotor agitation or retardation nearly every day. Fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. Feeling worthless or excessive or inappropriate guilt nearly every day. Decreased concentration nearly every day and recurrent thoughts of death or suicidal ideation. So I'm, I'm gonna tell you a bit about my approach to treatment for depression, um, which is very similar to um, my approach to treatment for anxiety. So you might, if you listen to that episode, you might notice some overlap. Um, so in that episode, the anxiety episode, um, I mentioned that I practice acceptance and commitment therapy, which is also called ACT or ACT, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> um, there are six elements to this. Um, so the first is contacting the present moment. So in this, we use a lot of mindfulness exercises and I don't strictly mean like meditation. Um, it's more about getting present and focused. So there's a lot of other mindfulness activities that we can do. 
I might do a brief one at the end, actually, of this episode. Um, The second is self as context. So this is the part of ourselves that notices what we are thinking, feeling, and doing. So something I often ask my clients is, what are you noticing as we talk about this? Or what are you, what did you notice as we did this exercise together? Diffusion. Um, and this means uh, separating ourselves from our thoughts. And there are a lot of weird techniques here. Um, but one of the easiest ones to use is just to notice when your mind is bullying you and to call it out as a bully. So an example would be, you know, you get this really negative thought or really this thought of, you know, that is really hurting you and you just say mind you're just being a bully right now then we have acceptance so this would be of the pain we're having both physical and emotional um if you want more than this i would say there's a really cute video on youtube called the struggle switch by dr russ harris who is of no relation to me um and some people find this really helps them with kind of the acceptance piece or understanding this concept a bit more Then there is values, which means figuring out who and what is important to us so that we can kind of find a way to get ourselves to continue to have those things important to us and actually do things that help um, foster those relationships and and, uh, behaviors. And then finally, we have committed action. And this is sometimes called behavioral activation. And this involves setting aside time each day or a few times a week to do things that you enjoy and then actually doing them to make yourself feel better. So for example, if you notice that you're most depressed at 5 p.m. and you also notice that, you know, walking, something that really helps you or you just like to walk, um, then the idea would be to go for a walk regardless of how you're feeling um, emotionally. Um, or even physically, like even if you're really tired, you'd still go for this walk. So at 5 p.m., X number of times per week. Um, so I try to encourage people to do it at least three times a week, but obviously more can be a lot better. And there's actually a ton of research supporting that this helps people like overcome depression. Like there's so much research on this. Um, so I know it sounds like like it's going to be either really hard to do or like it might not work, but they have done like thousands and thousands of studies so doing things that you like to do even if you don't want to do them will help you um just feel better um and then i want to say that there are a lot this is my approach to treatment like i said so there are lots of similar approaches to treatment so anyone who uses any type of cognitive behavioral approach will kind of include their versions of diffusion and behavioral activation Um, That being said, all therapies have similar efficacy, so it doesn't really matter so much what your therapist specializes in. Um, So therapy outcomes, technique, or theory only accounts for 10% of the outcome. The therapists themselves account for about 20%, and then the rest really comes down to your therapeutic relationship with your therapist, and most importantly, your effort in treatment. My quote this week is from the Dalai Lama, who says... Happiness is the highest form of health. Now, I like this quote because I think there's some truth to it. Even when people like are very sick but are happy, they tend to have better qualities of life. And all that said, when you're sick or if you encounter other life stressors and circumstances that are really difficult, it can be hard to achieve happiness. Um, and as I've kind of said throughout this episode, easy to find despair. Treatment for depression is real, though, 
and actually I'm gonna do a blog post this week as well um, on a newly approved treatment for treatment resistant depression in Canada um, so if you want to check out my blog it's janeversuspain.com um, I also want to say like if you're struggling with depression are there any other mental health problems please make sure that you have a therapist on your healthcare team um, and if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts in particular please make sure you reach out to a crisis line as needed um, I'm going to link some of those for you, um, specifically for Canada and the U.S. Uh, in the show notes. But if, obviously, if you live in another country, please find your local one. Um, usually, you can just Google them. Okay, if you're interested in more healing journeys with mental illness, please check out episode 18, which was my interview with Ryan Phillips, who shared his very inspirational story, though he denies it's inspirational, um, of having complex PTSD and um, kind of where he's at in his life right now. The only other thing I can really say for this topic this week is that it's really important to learn how to cope with your illness, physical or mental. There are tons of coping strategies available. Um, if you're interested in having a specific episodes on some of these coping strategies, please um, let me know by writing a review and or tagging me or DMing me on Instagram. My handle is at Jane versus Pain. Uh, reviews actually do go a long way in helping this show reach more people. Uh, I'm also always willing to answer listener questions on air, so DM me if you have those as well. Um, so we're going to do a quick um, mindfulness exercise. It's called Drop the Anchor. Um, and if you want to think of it like if you're boating and you're coming into port and you see a huge storm swelling in behind you, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get to port? you're probably gonna drop the anchor. And the same thing goes when you're feeling a huge emotional storm coming on. It's good to just drop an anchor, get yourself grounded, present. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we use it in, in therapy so much. So you can keep your eyes open for this. And I want you to just take a few moments and acknowledge any thoughts, feelings, physical, emotional pain that you have currently. And just really let yourself feel it. And at the same time, I want you to press your feet into the ground. And just notice the ground beneath you. And then just Notice what it feels like to have your back against the chair. It's like to sit on a chair. And at the same time, just keep acknowledging that you have these thoughts and feelings and physical sensations. They're still there. Now I want you to take a few moments and look around the room and find five things that you see. And now maybe three, maybe four things that you can hear. And then just acknowledge again that you still have thoughts, feelings, and sensations that are really difficult. 
And now just continue to notice what the ground feels like beneath you. That you've got these thoughts and feelings, but you've got a body surrounding these thoughts and feelings. And you've got a whole room of sounds and sights that is surrounding your body. Just take a breath. Notice what that feels like to come in, to go out. And when you're ready, just come back to the moment. The idea is not to get rid of all those thoughts and feelings. It's just to be present to everything, not just those. All right, for now, my fellow warriors, just keep on making the most of it. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Chronically Living Podcast. If you love this week's podcast, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Until next week, stay strong.